Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. So can I invite you to open your Bibles and turn to that book, the second letter, chapter 1. The Word of God where it says, Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may fulfil every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's move forward, John. Well, welcome, John. Thank you. Um, I understand you to be a brother of um, (laughs) Carl. I uh, try not to, you know, make that public. (laughs) Is there a reason for that? I think that's pretty clear, isn't it? The report to kind of test you for whether you're a... and you can fill in the blank. So someone, for example, sent one to me uh, that was supposed to test if I was a geek. Um, I don't know why they did that. Um, But they did. Uh, And, you know, it asked all sorts of questions about Star Trek and and stuff like that. Um, It also asked if if I'd ever uh, played a game for more hours than I'd slept that day. I'm not sure. It also asked if I'd owned a lightsaber, which seems a strange question to me because I think everyone owns a lightsaber, don't they? I mean, who who doesn't own a lightsaber? Everyone's got a... Anyway. Um, So, yeah, test. Are you a geek? Are you not a geek? Uh, I also got one um, one time to test if I was a child of the 80s, which I am, uh, and it asked questions about whether um, my mother wore shoulder pads. I wonder if anyone from the 80s can remember those, that wonderful fashion accessory, the shoulder pad. Uh, we, we had a bit of a return to the 80s recently and sadly 
I didn't see a lot of shoulder pads, but I'm sure you know one day they'll come back. It also asked if I, if uh, Top Gun wanted to make, wanted me to made me want to become a, a fighter pilot, which it did. Uh, and if you're from the 80s, you'll understand. Um, I guess th- there's a lot of amusing kind of quiz type things, RUA that go around uh, the email and the, the internet. Uh, and by the way, uh, they've done studies on how much productivity is lost due to those, so perhaps you might think twice before you send those on to someone's work email next time. Um, but they, they go around and they're kind of fun, they're kind of interesting. But a, but a far more important quiz, I think, uh, a, a far more serious quiz that we would want to take is uh, how do you know if you're a Christian? Well, that's much more important, isn't it, than how do you know if you're a geek? How do you know if you're a Christian? And you might say, well, that's, that's easy. Uh, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, says Paul in Romans. And of course that's true. Uh, and yet, and yet, because uh, we are who we are and our heart is deceitful above all else, it's also true that there, Jesus says, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, James writes, Uh, in his letter, about what constitutes real faith, genuine faith. And so it's possible to deceive ourselves into thinking we have faith uh, when in fact we do not. Uh, On the other side of the coin, of course, is that there are people with genuine faith who are uh, tossed about by doubts and and concerns all their life and, and they never know quite for sure they're never really settled in the fact that they are indeed saved. And so uh, in 1 John, uh, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wanted people to be sure that they were saved. And he wrote uh, in that letter lots of te- a few tests, three tests in fact, to, to, so that you could test if you had eternal life. Uh, Paul here is not so much, uh, he doesn't explicitly say, I'm writing to you to show you the marks of Christianity, to show you what a Christian looks like, but that's what he's doing. He's actually encouraging the Thessalonian Christians. He was there for a short time, he planted the church and then he was forced out of that place through persecution. And I guess uh, the people there may have had questions about, have we got the real deal? Is God really for us? I mean, life is so difficult, we're, we're being persecuted all the time. Uh, are we, are we on the right track? And Paul writes to encourage them that yes, God is at work in their lives. And this morning what I want us to see as we uh, just look at the first few verses here, verses 3 to 5, uh, what Paul points out to them to show them that God is in fact at work in their life. And let's be really clear, right at the beginning, I am not saying these are the marks of the Christian, you have to work your way up to these and, and attain them so that you go, yes, you know, I've got the past grade, I'm in, everything's okay. That's not what I'm saying. Paul says there, verse 3, doesn't he, we ought to always thank God for you. This is a prayer of thanks to God because Paul knows that God is at work in their life. This is the evidence, if you like, that you're a Christian, but it's the evidence that God is at work in you. Well, what is that? Uh, Verse 3. 
because your faith is growing more and more. That's the first thing, because your faith is growing more and more. Now what does that mean? I think sometimes we consider faith and sort of think of it as a once-off commitment. It's something that you do. You, you put your faith in Christ and then that's it. It's, it's put, <laughs> if you like, it's, it's there uh, and, and you, it's sort of, that's it. I mean, it continues. You continue to have faith but it doesn't grow. I'm not sure we often talk about our faith growing. And Paul here uh, uses a word that, that's talking about a tree or a plant that grows and, and grows and, and flourishes. Um, I guess um, the picture that comes to my mind is like a pot plant that's just gone a bit crazy and and it's too big for the pot, that sort of thing. It's talking about a flourishing plant. And and the question is, how could our faith grow in that way? What what would that mean for our faith to be growing like that? Well, faith is not something, it's not a static thing where you believe and then that's the end of it. Faith is actually a relationship with God. It's a relationship of trust with God. That's what faith is. It's a relational trust. Not simply a trust that he will provide or that he will protect, but a trust that knows that God is best, that God will satisfy you, that he can provide what you need, that he knows best that he is the most delightful thing, that he is what you ought to pursue, that he is the source of all joy and hope and life. See, that's what faith is and and we can grow in that, can't we? Because we don't immediately, completely trust God, completely believe that he is everything that we need. So what would it look like uh, for you to be increasing in that, for your faith to be deepening? Uh, one, of, um, one of the things I've noticed with my children um, and, and other children too actually is that um, as a father, I, I like, as all good fathers do, I like to sort of you know, toss them up in the air, you know, the sort of wee. And, and the first time you do that, the look on their face is one of terror. Uh, with my children anyway, you, you wee, wee. And, and I've noticed actually, um, eventually your own children get used to it and they start to enjoy it, right? But when you go to someone else's child and you do it, do it with them, if they're not used to it, they go, what are you doing to me? You're going to kill me. Uh, well, they probably, but something like that anyway. Um, they, they, don't, they don't trust me. I know it's fun. I know that it's going to be a good thing. You know, toss them around, hold them upside down. I know that eventually they'll enjoy it, but they don't believe me that this is a good idea. Now, I think that we can be a little like that with God. See, he says, live my way, seek me above all else, trust me in difficult times, spend time communing with me, reading my word, praying, talking to me. Do that, that, that that's good for you. That'll be life to the full. But we say, I'm not sure, God. I think that sort of sounds like my life wouldn't be all that great. That uh, sounds a bit hard. Surely it would be better to sit like a slob in front of the TV than it would be to read your word. Now, I'm not against TV all the time, but you know, surely it would be better to pursue wealth as a way of happiness. Surely it would be better to muck around with my girlfriend. Surely that would be good. Surely it would be you know, a little bit of gossip. That's not going to hurt. You see, we, we, over and over again we say, oh God, I, I know you have your way, but... Surely this would be better. We don't trust 
God. God wants to throw us up in the air. <laughs> and we're standing there going, no, 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 just leave me here on the ground in the dirt. That's, that's fine. A growing trust in God is one that more and more obeys God, a trust that seeks God, delights in God, pursues God. That's what it looks like to have a growing faith, that you accept that what God says is true and you go for it and as you do that you will experience that what he says is true. That it, just like my child learnt to, that it was fun to be thrown up in the air, so you will discover as you pursue God that he is trustworthy, that he can be relied upon, that his way is best, that he is delightful. And so uh, your faith will be growing. Is that what it is with you? Is your faith growing? That's the first test. Paul uh, then says uh, in the next part of verse 3, and the love of, sorry, the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Uh, The verb in the first part was kind of like a plant growing. Uh, Now Paul has a verb that's more like spreading. And I sort of imagine here a bucket of water tipped on the ground. It, It just sort of spreads out and it spreads into sort of every nook and cranny, doesn't it? It sort of uh, gets everywhere. That's how water works. And, and I think that's a good picture for this because the emphasis in Paul's language here is that it's each one of you has for each other. It's everyone for every, <coughs> excuse me, everyone for everyone. It's, a, it, it's all over the place. Not only uh, spreading though, but increasing. Not only increasing in scope, but increasing in amount, if you like. Uh, They love each other more and more. Now again, I think we think of love in static terms. We think we either love someone or we don't love someone. Uh, I think partly that's because we think of love in very kind of emotional sense, the way our world thinks about love. Uh, So you either love someone, you're... I love you or I I don't love you. I feel something for you or I don't feel something for you. But the Bible, though it certainly wants that, usually talks about love in other ways. Uh, There's a great definition of love again in 1 John and it says this, this is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You see, Jesus in the Bible sets the pattern for love. Love is self-sacrifice for the sake of another, whether they deserve it or not. That's love. Sacrifice for another, whether they deserve it or not. In fact, even if they're very undeserving as we were. And Paul says the Thessalonians love was increasing, it was spreading, it was going out to more and more people and increasing. So how do you know that your love is spreading and increasing? How do you know God is at work in you causing your love to to spread? Well, I think at least 
it means that it will become increasingly non-selective. We we tend, don't we, to, to kind of love the people who love us or who are kind of like us, they, they're, they're similar to us, or, or we love the popular, the people who are attractive. But that's not the sort of love that, that Paul is talking about here. What does it say? To, to each and every one, it's saying. It's talking about love to everyone. And I think that as, we, as our love grows and increases, we ought to be finding ourselves loving more and more different kind of people. People who aren't like us, people who are difficult or odd or messy. Who, who was the person you put yourself out for last? You know, think, think about it. You know, who's the last person you kind of loved? Maybe it was your family this morning, that's great. But beyond that, who, who was the person you loved? Who do you generally reach out to? Is it everyone? I mean, you can't do everyone all the time, obviously, but is it all kinds of people? Or is your love very selective? Now, that's the question we should be asking ourselves. But not only is my love very selective, but is my love growing? Is the way I love people getting bigger and bigger. Uh, As a parent, when my child does something nice for someone, which is rare (laughs) because they're only little, but when they sort of share a toy, you know, they say, oh, you can have this. That's exciting, isn't it? As a parent, if you're a parent, you'd know that's exciting. But if my children get to the age of 21 and the most they can manage is all right, you can have my toy or whatever, that, that will be slightly disappointing. <laughs> and, and so it is with us. If, if, when we start as a Christian, it's exciting when we put ourselves out and go and talk to that new person or we help around church when we didn't have to or something like that. But if that's all we do, like... All we do is sort of once every now and then because I know some people that's, that is all they do but they do a lot of it and they keep doing more and more of it. But if we just do a little bit of that every now and then and we never really grow beyond that, our sacrificial love never gets bigger than that, then, then that's actually a problem. We want to progress so that more and more our desires, our likes, our preferences are set aside for the sake of other people that we love sacrificially as Christ loved. And look, this is only going to happen, you're only going to have this deepening love, this increasing spreading love, if you actually spend time dwelling on Christ. This is back to the first thing, isn't it? If if you're spending time trusting God and and living with him and thinking about the sacrifice of Christ for us, who, who died for us, who loved us, even though we're all weird and we all hate him by nature... He died for us and forgave us. When we understand that love, when that love works its way into us, that's when it's going to spill over, isn't it, into into other people. The water is going to spill over and spread across the floor into all sorts of places. It's, It's as we do the first thing, trust God and spend time with him, 
that this second one will, in a sense, naturally flow. And, and the question is, is that happening in your life? Is the love of Christ spilling out from you as you dwell on it? Is God working in you that way? Well, there's uh, one more thing here that Paul says shows that God is at work in their lives and that's in verse 4. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and, and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Uh, you'll note here that Paul's not actually, it seems like he's finished his prayer and he's now talking about the fact that he boasts about them. So is he still talking about what God is doing in their life? Uh, yes, he is. Um, because as we go on, you'll see that God is working in them. But I just want to have a little aside at, at this point, um, and I'll do what my lecturer used to do, so you know I'm doing it. He, he used to go, oh, we'll just put that over here, and he used to go like that, and then I'll do an aside, so I'm over here now. I'm doing an aside, so when I'm finished, I'll come back over here. Um, just an aside, because I think this is really helpful. It's hard to encourage people when they're doing well in the faith, isn't it? I think. Because when... Uh, uh, when someone does well in the faith, if we go to them and say, look, you're doing really great, there's a sense in which we feel like we might be saying, you're doing really great and we're taking the glory from God, which we potentially would be. And so then the alternative is to say nothing because we don't want to you know, sort of flatter their ego or boost their and take glory from God. And so we say nothing and then no one gets encouraged. Um, I, I note here that Paul is encouraging them whilst giving glory to God, isn't he? He's saying, I can see that you're advancing. I can see that you're growing. I can see that you're persevering. I can see that uh, your love is increasing and I'm thanking God for it. I think that's an excellent way, as my aside, I'm over here still, that's an excellent way to encourage people in the faith. To say to them, I can see that you're growing, praise God. Because then we're actually encouraging them... I can see that you're developing your faith, but God gets the glory. We, we need to do more of that. Anyway, here I am back over here for, the, for this last evidence that, that God is working in their lives and that is that they're persevering. Uh, you see, again, come down to with me to verse 5. Uh, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. That phrase there, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. It's a bit of a funny one, isn't it? Because it sort of sounds like opposite to what I've been saying. Uh, They've somehow worked their way up and they're now worthy of getting in. But that's not what's going on. God does want us to be worthy, holy, but it's his work and Paul uh, is is still, and if you read on you'll see this, he's still thinking in terms of the work God is doing in their life. And he boasts about it to other churches because God is at work in their life. He's not boasting because they're great. He's boasting because God is at work in them. Well, how does he make us worthy of his kingdom? Often through trials and that's what Paul is getting at here. It's through trials that God refines us and cleanses us. And so the final mark that I just want to point out to you this morning of, of a true Christian is that in trial, they don't wander away, they don't despair, but they are refined and changed by God. Uh, I love watching on the TV 
because I've never seen it in, in real life, um, glass blowing uh, or, or glass working. I don't know if you've ever seen that. You know, they stick the glass into the furnace and it melts and gets um, hot and then they, they can either blow it and make it kind of big and in- interesting looking or they can bend it and, and they do all sorts of stuff. It's fantastic. Uh, and if you see a master kind of artisan at work, it's really, really good. I love it. Um, if you were to just put a lump of glass into a, into a furnace, what would happen to it? It would just melt and become a big blob of glass resting on the bottom of the furnace. It really wouldn't be very impressive at all. And you see, trials can be one of two things for us. Either, if no one's working on us, we'll end up as a big blob of glass ugly and unattractive on the bottom of the furnace. And that's often what happens to people, isn't it? Trials make them bitter and unhappy and angry and unpleasant. But if someone's working on us, if there's a master artisan shaping us and working and and doing what needs to be done to us, then we will become marvellous creatures. And so it is that God works on us in our trials. If he is at work in your life, he will, there's no question about it, he will use the trials in your life to refine you and change you and direct you toward him and increase your faith and increase your love. He'll use those things in your life to make you a marvellous creature worthy of his kingdom. It's fantastic. He will. He just will do that. And so the mark of a Christian is that at the end of the trial they come out better than when they went in because God is at work in them. And I guess some of you may be looking at your life and think, yeah, okay, past trials, present trials, God's at work in me. I can see. I don't like the trials. I don't like being in the furnace but at least I'm changing, at least I'm becoming more like Christ, at least I'm coming to love God and and want to serve him more. That's good. But perhaps uh, you look at your life and you look at the trials in your life and, and you see that nothing's really changing and all that there is is really bitterness and selfishness. Indeed, as you look over your life, you're not growing in love you're just finding new and inventive ways to be selfish. You've not really grown in your relationship with Christ. It's still distant. He's not really all that interesting to you. All you really wanted was the ticket to heaven. And the answer is not to despair at this point, to say, what am I going to do? This is all over. Uh, these evidences of the Christian life, they're not in my life, what am I going to do? Jesus didn't say, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven so that people would despair. He said it so that people would repent. If you don't see the marks of Christianity in your life, the answer is not to despair, it's to turn to Christ. He's helping you hear this today so that you can turn to him, so that you can turn to him in repentance and faith and ask him to work in your life. 
That's what we all need, for God to work in our life so that you can thank him that he's at work in you. He will forgive. He'll take your sins away forever. He will. And perhaps you look and you see these things there. Maybe they're only in seed form. Your love has grown a bit. Maybe you've only just started. Maybe he's been working with you for a long time and you can look back and see that he's done amazing things in your life. Well, thank God. We ought to thank God, as Paul does, for his work in our lives and be encouraged for the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. If God is at work in you now, he will always be at work in you till that day, as Paul talks about, he comes again. So, take the quiz and either be comforted and excited or turn to Christ as you need. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you work in us. Lord, that you produce things in us that we could never produce ourselves. A desire for you, a love for you, a delight in you, a trust in you, obedience Lord, we pray that you would work these things, continue to work these things in our lives. Lord, help those uh, who are concerned about their faith to see the work that you've done in their life and be encouraged in it and uh, continue to put their hope in you and their faith in the work of Christ. And Lord, if there are some here who, uh, who, who see no change, no desire for you, no growth in love, no change through uh, a trial. We pray that, that you would uh, help them to turn to you in repentance and faith. And we thank you, Father, that uh, you uh, call us and show us our sin and show us when we need to turn to you. And we, we thank you that you are a loving and gracious God who sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. And we pray, Father, that uh, through what we've seen this morning there will be many people confident that they have that eternal life in Christ. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.